I'm wondering what your heart, your hearts, our joint heart, wonder what's needed here tonight. Wondering how you are, how's your heart? Heart and mind and body. How's your sense of self and the world going? Self and other, self and the kind of constant meeting, isn't there? There's a constant meeting with our inner life and our outer life. And practice and teachings are an attempt to give us some way of uh, engaging with that in a way that leads onward so that we don't just have to keep going in repeating circles in our life, but that this organism that we are, this heart, body, mind, this interface with the world, the inner world, the outer world, that this can be cultivated and can wake up more to the depth and breadth of what we are. One of my teachers says, that we, in practice, if we sincerely engage, we move from being an organ of repetition to an organ of perception. You know the organ of repetition thing in your life? (laughs) And I don't mean you have to do the same job every day. It doesn't mean that, because many of us do. It's the repetition of where we start to get a little duller. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've seen Groundhog Day. Even the young ones among you, because it must be 20 years old now. If you haven't, see, it's a good Dharma movie. But there's that sort of repetition of his patterning and his cycling until he wakes up into something else. Sees. Well, he's caught. Sees where he's no longer a meeting place of the world, but it becomes a shut-down kind of meeting place and we have the same meeting again and again with ourselves and each other. So moving from an organ of repetition to an organ of perception, which is a big ask. It's a big ask to wake up and do the work of getting here more. <sighs> Seeing all the places the heart, and by heart I mean heart-mind, this Locatedness of us, our sensitivity, our impactability, our responsiveness. That we see all the ways that this heart has gone into exile, actually. 
And I'll, I'll speak about that hopefully a little bit tonight. So tonight, I, I, here's my offering, and I hope it touches some of what's needed for our individual hearts and our collective our collective heart. And that's not a romantic or sort of nicey, nicey spiritual idea. It's like there's, as we start to resonate more with each other, um, the sense of separateness can start to soften and dissolve. And the idea of an inner life and an outer life um, can stop feeling like two, two very, very different things, if they do, if they do to you. I know for me they have done. You know, I was all, all out there in the world with my work and my causes and my confusion. <laughs> and not that that's all gone, but... And then it's like, oh, that didn't work. And I got all in here. Okay, so inner life's what it's all about. Good. Phew, sort of harder but easier and easier and harder. And, oh, oh, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. There's some idea here that there's two different worlds. And that's what started to soften. That's something about the way the mind arises and the world arises that the Buddha points to, actually a co-arising of mind and the world. And that taking care of our inner domains does indeed take care of our world. Taking care of our world can also take care of the inner domains. We can work in both as we break down the separation. So a meeting place. Um, I think I want to say a couple more things about these four qualities first, or maybe this fits. A couple of other things I don't think we've covered yet. One is that these, these beautiful qualities are human qualities. They're not for when you're superhuman. They're, for, they're ours. And they're, we can't lose them. We don't have to strive to get them. They are, we're actually hardwired, believe it or not, even if other things feel more natural at times, for friendliness. It's, we're built for friendliness. Um, we're built for buoyancy, actually. And uh, balance. And kindness. And uh, so, I mean, I could say more about that, but let's just take that for the moment, if you will, or suspend disbelief, if, you, if you're willing. Um, I mean, think of it like this, actually, that the kindness isn't something... Uh, that we get to later. The kindness is as the... Uh, as we see more and more what kind we are, the kind of creature that we are. So we sit with our own heart-mind. On a retreat, we say, oh yeah, I'm the kind that, that's sensitive, I'm the kind whose mind moves, I'm the kind who wants love. Oh, I'm the same kind as this kind. This becomes kin, each other becomes kindred. We're the same kind. And at more and more levels that we can um, open to. And that the, the obscurations, the clouds, the, the curtains, so to speak, are something we can work with on our way to knowing ourselves as a meeting place for worlds. Knowing the heart as a meeting place. So the gifts, you can't lose them. You don't have to earn them. 
they are not just for the righteous and the worthy. <laughs> they, are, they are what we are. Another point is <clears throat> that they're all, they're all relational practices. Now, if any of you have an idea that the spiritual life will get you out of that complex realm called relationship, think again. We're always in relationship, always. Even when we become quiet and on our own, we're in relationship with our own mind and body and heart. So these are relational qualities, and the Buddha said these are simply the best ways to go about things, best way to live in the world. He presents it as one of the oldest suttas in the Pali Canon, the Metta Sutta, in a very um, beautiful but unsentimental way of this celebration of this and inviting us to these qualities of kindness um, of the heart. There, and, and the last thing about that is that what's beautiful, and a su- couple of people pointed it to it in the groups that I was with today, is that these qualities can be affirmed and practiced even when you don't feel them. That doesn't make them fake. So when we have had an insight, actually it makes sense to act with kindness. It makes sense to... Um, leave this one intact, even if I can feel myself scrambling to want to have them. Or, right? It makes sense, even if I don't feel it, even if the mind is, the heart is scrambling, even if I have hatred in my heart, that I can still make a benevolent gesture. They can be affirmed this way, and that's on the way to them opening up more. So the intention, as we've been speaking about, is powerful in that regard. And they open up in time on all the levels, the thought, the feeling, the, the action, actually the realm of action. <coughs> so sometimes we can look at the level of action even if we don't feel. We can engage in kind action. We don't have to wait till we're feeling good. Right? Maybe you know that. <coughs> Maybe you know that, but sometimes some of us have an idea, oh, I have, I'm not feeling it, so it's not real. One of my teachers said, you can work at any level of the tree. He said, sometimes you can go right to the roots. You can do that real deep work of working at the roots of all of our material and our, you know, unpicking our layers and our stuff and our material. He said, you can work at the level of the leaf, the action, the fruit. I come there because the fruit that drops from the tree also, the action, so the fruit here being the action, poof, even if it isn't perfectly purified, even if it isn't perfectly enlightened, I can act. I can act for the benefit of all beings. And the fruit drops nourishes the ground, nourishes the roots, and I'm on my path. We are on our path to clarifying the tree, clarifying the tree so that our action may be more informed um, by freedom, actually. So that's a couple of thoughts there about that. Um, I'm aware that we use the word, that's one of the translations about radiating and radiance a lot, which probably press some buttons in the room. Um, so a couple of things I want to say about that, if it did, or <clears throat> even if it didn't, a clarification. Um, 
two things. When we turn towards these aspects of the heart that are wholesome and beautiful and good, it's not the kind of goodness that is split off from what we call badness. Right? This is a love that's being pointed to that can hold the hatred, that is not rising above and putting that all in the realm of something that belongs in the other realm. I'm going to get more spiritual, more bright and light and lovely, and that other kind of complex stuff belongs over there. Sometimes we see that. Sometimes we see that in ourselves, sometimes we might see it in another, where someone can have a kind of a, um, a brightness that's usually a little bit more up here, right? just in this realm, you can sometimes see. Um, and it's not that it's fake entirely, it's just not complete. Yeah, it's on the way. That that lightness and brightness hasn't yet been integrated fully with the complexity of living in the world fully with the complexity of the world of relationships and the world of materiality, functioning. Sometimes what we find if we've been in such a, um, been in such a place ourselves, we find that it's not so easy to function. Well, this may not apply to any of you, but I know for some of you that the word radiance can sound like it's not real or it's not grounded in the world. Um, so... I think there's work around radiance for that, for radiating that's natural, that the Buddha spoke about, is really firmly grounded in our material earth. Right? I think some of what we inherit as modern people, as we meet this teaching, is uh, this sort of Western modern inheritance of the split of matter and spirit. Right, that we inherited some several hundred years ago. Well, actually, it started a while ago, didn't it? With our the kind of our, the, the the creation myth at the beginning of Western culture, where the sky god rose, and the earth was rather looked down upon. Right, and the inheritance then via the the incredibleness of the scientific revolution. But its limit, its limit of where the view then, this great view that's here, can just see density and materiality lost its sacredness. It's a little bit less than the bright light sky realms. It's um, inert matter, kind of meaningless molecules bumping into each other. Even if science has moved on since then, it's still a little bit in the view. Any of you prefer to go up and go down? <laughs> and where we can see this, not just in spirituality, I think that an inheritance of this is our privileging of the intellect. Uh, again, it's up, right? In more ancient or certainly in some indigenous cultures, without making them absolute, as an absolute... Um, Reality, but something that, some of, that, that a lot of moderns have lost contact with is the capacity to see and perceive all materiality, all things as imbued with consciousness, as imbued with soul, as soul. And in our modern narrative, 
it got taken sort of away from material things and it became an inner life. This can be one of the exiles. We got our own inner life that was separate from an outer life. That, that's one narrative, not a whole truth. And then from an inner life, we kind of rose up a little bit and started to locate the privileged place as up here. Right? And now the view that the brain is the place to worship. This is the altar of ultimate truth. Right? It's one of the sort of modern narratives that we have. And it's beautiful, but it's not complete. It's beautiful because there's a lot we can learn about the brain and the intellect is an incredible gift in the human realm, an incredible gift, but an intellect devoid of heart and strong connection to earth and sky is dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. One Zen teacher who's a friend of mine, she has a Zen teacher from Japan, and she was taking him to uh, Australia 20 years ago or something, and they said at customs, are you carrying any dangerous weapons? And he said, mm-hmm. and they sort of went, uh-huh. and he went, <laughs> right. So yes, it's a gift, an incredible gift of discernment, of penetrating clarity and extraordinary world of ideas that we can benefit from. Absolutely. So this path is not anti-intellectual, but it's knowing the absolute, what's the place of this bright gift, this realm that for if you're if we're in in a bright day on a bright day we like it it's like the sky it's kind of unhindered you can go anywhere right it can be bright it's like wow look at that what is the place of returning that fully to the sacred so that our intellect can be in the service and it is it's not that none of us that we're all exiled entirely, we know, we're called back, hold on a sec, when I'm only in my head, you know it here, don't you, when I'm only in my head, it can be interesting for a while, it can also be terrible, but it doesn't ever feel on its own complete. So what is that call where we're called back for this bright, sky-dwelling creature to be in the service of the meeting place of the world, where we meet each other, where we meet our inner life, our history, our inheritance of our ancestors, where we meet the dense materiality, apparently, of this beautiful, dark, fecund, fertile earth, where we can join again the the sky gods with the earth, with the Mother Earth, where we can meet again, you and I, the depth of my sensitivity, my inner life, my personalness, and you, this outer world meeting right here. So, sometimes... There's sort of that idea about radiating, we're concerned with it being fake. Uh, and it may just be not complete yet, that the lightness is com- not quite com- that the lightness hasn't been uh, has has been a little bit split off from the 
from the other worlds. Someone just rather be in the sky, either in a spiritual identity or in a worldly identity. <laughs> Ever preferred to go up there? Right. The Buddha, I'm going to use the words, uh, this, this metaphor of the exiles of the heart, but he gave a really beautiful formulation of the ways that we move away from this meeting place, this meeting place of worlds. And he said basically that the problem is, uh, and you probably all know this from the teaching, but the, the issue is not being at home, not knowing how to dwell at this, this meeting place, we, des- we feel a little desperate and we cling. <coughs> we cling to thought, feeling, people, ideas, bodies, possessions, etc. And he said there's three types of craving, three types of hunger that uh, spur us into clinging. And I think this is useful to look at, this formulation. I think it's quite brilliant. He had a lot of brightness. He's a real bright, bright guy. Right? Beautiful gift in the service of the meeting place. Right? He said there's the hunger, the craving, kama tanha, the craving for uh, sensual filling, filling myself through the senses, acquiring stuff either experience, things, kind of filling up my senses. That's one place that we have a hunger. So the second, he says, is the craving, the hunger for standing out, for proving myself, for becoming someone. Right? And we kind of know that one, don't we? We know that that doesn't get you the satisfaction. We've probably all tried it at least when we were two or three or seven or whatever. And we might still do it. It's okay, you know, it's okay. <laughs> we do it all the time. Of course we do. And we go, oops, oh, okay, so maybe I'll try something different. I'll try not to become. And he said, oops, that's another kind of craving. <laughs> There's another kind of hunger when we want to get out of becoming and we fail to recognize that we are a responsible, open system in an interdependent universe. I don't want that. I want to get out of here. Any of you ever wanted to get out of here? Because it's not always easy. Often it's not an easy prospect showing up for the meeting. You might, we might find ourselves oscillating. Okay, I'll try and become a good meditator. I'll try and become good. <laughs> I'll try and become kind. Trying to become kind, trying to become kind. Oh, blimey, I'm exhausted. Get me out of here. Oh, who cares about kindness? <laughs> I'm supposed to. Ah, right, so we can find ourselves oscillating. That's perfectly normal. Going between extremes in a way as we start to feel the exile in both. We feel the exile in both. And something keeps calling us back. And we hear a bit more teachings and we get something. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can leave myself alone. 
oh, how do I, how do I wake up and if I leave myself alone? Oh, if I leave myself alone with intention, with attention, oh, something happens. I incline the mind, something starts to open up. Another issue with the radiance or the radiating can be that it's not that the other or we are fake, actually. It's actually real, real, genuine kind of wholeness that has a lightness to it, but we don't trust it. That can arise for you. So this is some of the things in the way for us. Um, that we don't trust it so um, I know for myself when I came to Dharma teachings I I I didn't trust the teachers that were smiling (laughs) I thought real real truth is about getting down there in the really hard stuff nothing to smile about my family smiled a lot look where it got them right you know, I wanted something different. I wanted something that felt like it had more gravity, more weight, more depth. Um, so some, some of us can make a split between gr- that, that lightness doesn't have a gravity to it. Um, and that may be either because we've experienced a lightness that didn't really touch us, that really didn't meet us. It might be that we're simply not used to it the light aspect. Or it might be that we're angry. And I certainly know this for myself, that coming into contact with a real genuine intention for benevolence, for kindness, would get my hairs on the back of my neck rising, my claws, my tiger (laughs) ready. It's like, that's not real. It's very nice. And it goes so far. But that, does, that stuff doesn't really cut it. That stuff doesn't really cut the mustard, as they say, somewhere. I don't know where. Is it American? I'm not sure. Uh, that, that lightness is beautiful. and Yeah, but real suffering, how's that actually really going to be effective? You know, there's real issues in the world. And there would be this distrust um, and hate, quite frankly, where I'd want to sort of tear apart the, the kindness. Sometimes for years on retreat, sometimes at the end of the day, the teacher would say, take a moment to appreciate yourself for your own goodness. And I'd have that, remember? <laughs> Maybe some of you can resonate with that. If you don't resonate with it, lucky you. <laughs> lucky you. <coughs> you don't have to look for trouble. We got enough going on. <laughs> Don't say, oh, I need to have that hatred going on now. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, so but I put it on the map in case that should arise for you at any point. That sometimes the distrust is actually I'm angry because where was that when I needed it? Or where is that in the world? As the world needs it, it can't be real. 
a, a modern um, author, philosopher, psychotherapist called James Hillman, he uh, talked about exiles of the heart. And I'll give you a little bit of his formulation, and you can see how it works with the Buddha's one. Um, he talked about one of the exiles of the heart is where our our love and our enthusiasm, which is beautiful and real, comes up. We can't quite rest in the heart with it, and our enthusiasm becomes all about the thing out there. We lose ourselves. Do any of you know that one? I'm so in love. It's all about you, right? And we lose that poise. We lose the balance point, the fulcrum between the worlds. It all becomes about the world. For my cause, for my whatever it is, it's all about that. And we lose something about the sensitivity. He said another exile of the heart, a modern, a modern exile, is that it becomes all about me, right? That as I find my heart and my sensitivity, it all becomes about me and my healing. And that's tricky because that is important, really important. Really, really, really important. And it's concurrent all the way through. It's not like we get over that. It's like there all the way through. But it becomes an exile when our heart only becomes the personal heart. Only the personal heart. My stuff, my material. So how to hold the personalness that's here, my legacy, the particular places that my buttons are pressed, my hurts arise, my own struggles, my own uh, particular things that I feel like I've been given to work with in this life. Utter, utter, utter respect. Always and right through the path as we (coughs) deepen and to not stop with the view that that's what the heart is all about. That we can take that personalness, keep working with it. It's not like we're going to get over that. The heart is personal, it's beautiful. It's a personal aspect. But don't stop the story there. Right? That what might feel acutely personal and is can be a thread that takes us right through the collective, the cosmological, right to the stars and back. Personal sensitivity as a doorway to vulnerability. And vulnerability... This, which is the trembling along with that we're speaking about. This is this. This trembles. <laughs> can feel vulnerable. Can vulnerable resonate with my material that I need care with. And that vulnerability, as we deepen our earth connection, steady, resting our head in the lap of the earth, as well as our delight in the sky above that this vulnerability also opens us to be vulnerable not just to harm but vulnerable to our depths impactable, vulnerable means to be able to be impacted by 
that the heart can be impacted by perceptions, by knowledge, by depth and beauty that we have not yet known. So I'm vulnerable, impactable, I'm available to be impacted, yes, by the cries of the world. Because I'm not going to be able to select. I'm not just going to get the, the pretty stuff. It's all of it. Impactable. Kuan Yin, she's impactable. She's vulnerable. She holds her personal heart. She is vulnerable to the cries of the world. She hears them. They impress themselves on her. And she is at ease. How is she at ease? What does she know? And not just this kind of knowing, but what does she know, thoroughly know, that she can be vulnerable and poised at the same time? And I, I think this is, this is the beauty of our modern uh, part of the modern inheritance is also some skill around working with the personal material which we didn't always have in our uh, collective knowledge some real skill with that but not to stop there with the vulnerability he talked about a third exile which is the, uh, the exile of literalism I really like that he said if you think of the heart as just the thing that pumps blood I mean, I shouldn't even say just the thing that pumps blood. It's incredible that it pumps blood, isn't it? Isn't that like do we do we just see that in a mechanistic way, or like wow? You know, the real scientists they go wow, (laughs) right? That's how most of them started out, I think. Right? Like wow. Right? There's awe, there's that relationship of the, the, the mystery and the sacredness that's there. But if we shut down, oh, it's just that thing that pumps blood, what are they going on about the heart for? I don't feel any heart. Then we may be in an exile that, um, unless we're willing to question that conception, then we may never know the depths and beauty of our heart and each other's hearts. And what they can open up to, what they can be a portal to, in terms of perception and in terms of action. By perception, I give an example. Um, I was reading recently, again, Thomas Merton. He was a Catholic Trappist monk that's silent, fully silent in, in the mount somewhere in the States in the 50s, 60s. And I, I, he was a long time in utter silence, but in... In the later part of his life, he started to become a social activist as well. He realised that after whatever, 25 years, years in silence, he thought two days was enough, right? After 25 years in silence, he was ready to... <laughs> he was, he's like, oh, actually, the truth for me now, I, I need to get out there. He was out there before, and then he went in there, and then he had to get out there again, right? Um, but he's talking about the perceptions that can open up for the heart. And he has a really beautiful metaphor. I wish I'd brought it with me. He says something like, um, in the depth of the silence, as I opened to the forest, he was in the forest, he said, maybe the whole world has to become my wife. 
right? He said, and then he gives that metaphor that there's his passion, the kind, and he gives a sort of uh, metaphor of wife and bed and passion, right? So it's not just brotherly, sisterly love in that in that metaphor. He said, maybe the whole world, the whole forest, the whole world become my wife. And he says, and as I sit in the silence here, he says, everything is burning. Everything is burning. Everything is illuminated and on fire. And he says, how can I sit still when I see everything brightly illuminated on fire? I want to I wanna engage with my beloved, my beloved trees, my beloved people in the city that he wants to work with, my beloved earth, my beloved, I want to engage. There's his passion. Right from the depth of the silence, his passion is uh, inflamed. Not inflamed like the first exile James Hillman talks about, where we can be inflamed and then it's, ah, the world's my wife. And I go and grab it. But the passion that has the poise that has these four qualities where we can leave the world intact as we act. Maybe you've noticed, and you know this from practice if you've been around <coughs> long enough, that uh, the perception of the heart can open up. Me- simple things. You know, you suddenly notice the fur on the bunny that you haven't seen since you were seven and you, you, know, you start to resonate with a rabbit and you see it in a whole new way and you can't believe you haven't looked at rabbits for 55 years because they're so amazing. Right? And you're, you're engaged with whatever it is, the, tree out, the trees out there. I was never a tree type. <laughs> you know, some people naturally have that kind of relationship, don't they? I was a bit, a bit jealous of those kinds of people. I didn't, I didn't know what an oak tree was until I was about 23. Um, truly. Um, and this is England. Uh, but anyway, it, these trees out here, have you seen some of the big guys? You know, our perception can open up when we get more quiet. And as our perception opens up, we're allowed to be impressed upon, we're vulnerable to, we're impactable by each other, by the trees. And this impresses itself on the heart in such a way that the, the resonating heart wants to respond. So don't, don't feel too silly if you want to go stroke it, touch it, kiss it. I, when, I, when I used to hear about those tree-hugging people, I, I never thought I would be one of those. <laughs> and now I don't only do it in secret. <laughs> So wherever it is, we want to respond in the world. Do it. Sometimes we, you know, ask the others' permission if it involves something to do with them. But um, that, that was really not supposed to sound like. Some of you sound like you might have been hearing it as. Um, but whatever it is, you know, ask as we as we make our actions, as we bring our actions forward. Check out the attunement. That's where the listening comes in. The compassionate listening that's attuned. Oh. So it's not just my 
passion tipping forward and then burning out. So let's see. Maybe time to finish soon. Um, others. I think I might have read this piece last year, and a few of you were here. It's from the guy who wrote the book about um, <laughs> It's by a bloke who wrote a really good book. Uh, it's <laughs> He's either called Alain de Botton or Philippe de Botton. Which one is it? Alain. Okay, yeah. And it's something about religion without religion. What's it called? It was a different one than that. This religion for atheists. That's it. Religion for that's it. Thank you. So he's, um, and you can really see the the wisdom in this piece he offers. He says, "This is about others." If if you've if you've had any thoughts about others this weekend, he says, "The unsympathetic assessments we make of others." Anyone done that? <laughs> He says, are usually the results, and listen to so, so much sympathy here. He said, are usually the results of nothing more sinister than our habit of looking at them in the wrong way. It's about perception. Ways of looking. Oh, I've been looking at, the, I've been looking at you in the wrong way. It's different if you think they're all your wife, isn't it? Right? But I've been looking at them in the wrong way. And... So I'll read you what he says. He says, through lenses clouded by distraction, exhaustion, and fear, which blind us to the fact that they are really, despite a thousand differences, just altered versions of ourselves, fellow fragile, uncertain, flawed beings, likewise craving, likewise craving love and in urgent need of forgiveness. So sympathetic, isn't it? I read it again. The the unsympathetic assessments we make of others are usually the results of nothing more sinister than our habit of looking at them in the wrong way. Through lenses clouded by distraction, exhaustion and fear, which blind us to the fact that they are really, despite a thousand differences, just altered versions of ourselves, fellow, fragile, uncertain, flawed beings... Likewise, craving love and in urgent need of forgiveness. I'll meet you there. <laughs> right? That lens of perception. Oh yeah, hi. You want love too. And you feel this uh, breaks in the heart too. Oh, you're just like me. And meeting each other there. So it's not that Thomas Merton's perception is the ultimate one. What Dharma teachings support us to know is that there are many, 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 many ways of seeing each other and the world. And some are really skillful. And some 
Wisdom knows the difference. So I'll finish with a little verse from Rumi. So whether the judgment goes to the others or ourselves, both of them are a kind of exile, but he's had a moment of freedom from judgment, he says. I've gotten free of that ignorant fist that was pinching and twisting my secret self. The universe and the light of the stars comes through me. I am the crescent moon put up over the gates to the festival. I've gotten free of that ignorant fist that was pinching and twisting my secret self. The universe and the light of the stars comes through me. I am the crescent moon put up over the gates to the festival. Yeah, let's sit for a minute together. May all beings know the heart's release. May all beings know the heart's return from exiles. And may all beings enjoy the tenderness 
and joy of the meeting place. Our reunion.